Guess it's time to do this one more time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised you brought in your mixing board. <laughs> we did it really sounded good today. Thank you very much. Good I've been, form. Good been form. honing my skills, exactly. <laughs> no, a, a weird Finnish production duo called Pepe Deluxe with a song called Salami Fever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> One of those things I found a long time ago, you should watch the video sometime. It's, <laughs> it's, it's got a sort of a 20 years before it happened Napoleon Dynamite vibe where there are two guys in sort of loincloth diaper things again Finnish dudes fighting with nunchucks made out of salami in the living room of some small crappy apartment somewhere I want to write a song called salami regret sometime just because I love it but right after I eat it I'm like oh <laughs> for me that's the onion chips at White Castle oh, yeah. uh, every once in a while about it you know once let's let's call it quarterly about every three months I'm like those things are so good and about two-thirds of the way through the bag, all you can taste is regret, and you know, and then you just sit and wait for the terrible to happen. My name is Brian Oak. This is The Brian Oak Show, episode 125. Sean Bernard right there. Sean, how's your day so far? So far, so good. Just waiting for tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so not really that good, is what you're saying. No, it's good, but I, I have a real fear that there's going to be some crazy shit attempted in the next few days. Oh, so. you mean with the peaceful transfer of power that's yeah, about that. to transpire. Yeah. 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 I. It's so weird. Um, 2021, I expected to be, I expected some sort of sigh, some sort of relief, some sort of like, all right, let's just roll the shoulders and relax a little bit. And on a personal basis, for a myriad number of reasons, it's been more uphill than any two weeks of 2020 ever were. And so I've, also, I've almost kind of forgotten about exactly what we're looking at. But the promise of armed insurrection, or at least armed protests in all 50 states, it's there. It's going to happen. Yeah, I just hope that they can mitigate as much of it as possible. And I'm sure it'll be, be fine. It'll be fine. Nothing to see here. One of my all-time favorite phrases, what could possibly go wrong? Oh, yeah. We don't ever, ever say that in the Irish culture. <sighs> Because, of course, well, I mean, all the memes that have popped up of, you know, 2020 versus 2021, like, here, hold my beer, or thank God that year's over, and then, like, a the picture of the cat meme wearing the, the shaman horn hat <laughs> saying, lol, there's just, there's too much, and it's too real, so it is going to mellow at some point. That's why I look forward to doing this podcast. I like to see your face. I like to feel some sense of structure and normalcy, and I look forward to it because we always make a point of getting interesting guests. Now, before we get to our guest today, I want to describe him to you in just a few short phrases. There's obviously much more to his story, but this to me, this is why today's guest is so fascinating. And I've always enjoyed his company ever since I met him. He is a punk rocker to his soul. He has also jumped out of airplanes more than 1,000 times. Perfectly wow. good airplanes. Wow. And he's like, nope, I'll just throw myself into... <laughs> The stratosphere, the atmosphere. Why not? Because that seems like a totally rational thing to do. But he also has a master's degree in library sciences. He has been a librarian for as long as you and I have done anything we've ever done in our entire lives. And to me, that matters. You know, I talk about working at the record store all the time. And to me, it's sort of a, it's sort of a pale version of proper library sciences. It's like, 
I learn something literally every single day I work at that record store. And there is something about cataloging and organizing and understanding and learning every single day that is fascinating. And I know that this guy feels that in his absolute bones. Plus, he loves good music. Oh, and one interesting little side note. Our children... His son, my daughter, were both once romantically involved. We'll talk more Uh about our talk with John Copeland coming up very shortly. He will be our guest just ahead, but I wanted to get things started with some music today. A song that, do you ever have that thing? Now, we all know earworms, right, where you get a song in your head, but you know the song, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know the, yep, oh, this, oh, that, oh, yep, now you got the words. It's the Carpenters today. It's, you know, Climax Blues Band the next day, (laughs) whatever the case may be. Yesterday, I woke up with this just nothing more than a riff and a hook. I couldn't remember a single word. I couldn't remember anything about the band. And it gnawed at my brain all day. Working at the record store, and so I'm hearing all this other amazing music. But I, this thing, it kept, it kept bubbling up the entire day. And last night as I was laying there trying to go to sleep, I'm like, God damn it, what the hell is this song? <laughs> and then it came back to me. And it's not a band that most people have ever heard of. And I'm not saying that to be cool, because... I only know two songs by this band, but this song nodded my head all day, and as I was laying there trying to drift off, it came back. So, of course, I got up, popped open the laptop, did all the digging, found it, and it made me so happy. I listened to it 15 times, and I was finally able to fall asleep. So this is my effort to exercise my earworm demon, uh, a British band that, are you familiar with the Blueskins? Never heard of them. It was precisely, <laughs> and no one ever has. This song comes from 2004. No one ever has, and I've never heard of them since, but they had a moment back in the early 2000s. It's just, it's such a good song, and so if you want to listen to this, the, the, the version we're going to play is a little muddy. You can find better versions online, but... But put headphones on because the background vocals. Remember the band Jet out of Australia when they were trying to do the garage rock thing? Killer haircuts, shitty, dirty jeans. I I mean, they nailed it perfectly. This band did the same thing, but never to quite the same effect. But I love this song so much, so I want to share this song. When we come back, we'll talk to John Copeland. Right here, though, it's the Blueskins, a song called Stupid Ones on The Brian Oak Show.
again, is it the single greatest, most inventive song of all time? Absolutely not. But I loved it. Is it a freaking jam? It absolutely is. And that's what's weird. I want you to know that I've put out a couple of feelers to uh, music theory specialists and some other people because I want to do an upcoming episode on earworms. Yeah. We all have earworms. But like when something bubbles up like that, I couldn't remember a single word or a single thing about the band, but I'm like, I remember being in love with that song. And after a whole day of just, you know, anxiously hand you over trying to figure out who the it was, I got there and oh man, I'm so glad I found it. So again, the Blueskins, they existed for about four years. And remember that song I told you that I thought got placed in a movie? Yeah. <laughs> it's a song called Change My Mind. And it wasn't actually in a movie. It was in a British television uh, advertisement for Lynx Shower Gel. And they made more money off that than they ever did. Good for them, man. (laughs) Mailbox money. For any actively working musician, licensing is the whole bit. It's the Brian Oak Show. Made possible because we're here in the Smart Start MN studios by Smart Start MN. And Smart Start MN, Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. Should you or anyone you know or love or even a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend find themselves without their license due to a DUI, that is a stone-cold bummer. And there's going to be a lot of uphill roads ahead, literally and figuratively. But you can get back into your car. You can get back to some semblance of a normal normal life much sooner than you would expect. Thanks to Smart Start MN, they can hook you up with the ignition interlock, which means you blow clean, you get to drive. And as a guy who knows a guy who might have gone down this road, you're going to want to get back in your car as opposed to taking your kids to daycare in a taxi cab. Yeah, you might already be in Dutch with the wife and uh, or oh, husband or whatever oh, it happens to be. Might but, be. Uh, and you may or may not lose your case. That's the other part of it, but mm-hmm. they're going to take your driver's license away for a while in the meantime. Uh, go to smartstartmn.com slash Show. And they'll give you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock system. Let's go ahead and bring in today's guest. Uh, I first met today's guest because, as I mentioned, as weird as it sounds, our kids were hanging out, romantically involved. They were in high school and your son, my daughter. And so I came over to your house and had the chance to meet you, John. First of all, John, hello. How are you? Hey, I'm doing real good. Good, man. It's good to see your face. Yeah. Um, and we've, you know, we've always gotten along. I think that we are, ever since that day where I showed up over at your house and we were both wearing Suicide Commandos t-shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. That's that's a great photo. It's yeah. one of my one of my yeah. favorite photos. But, but we obviously have gotten on ever since then. And I really do find your story fascinating. So we have to start out a little bit with the early part of your story. Like me, I was born in Portland, Oregon. You were born elsewhere, but you've lived here since you were a small child, a toddler. Yeah, four, and, four years old. Yeah, and me the same thing. I moved. My folks moved here when I was like two and a half, three years old. So we are Minnesotans. We are from here. But you, one of the things I always forget about your story, because I always associate you with the library sciences, which I have a deep respect for, but you also made your path through radio. But here's my favorite weirdest part of it is I didn't meet you until, I don't know, eight years ago. Does that, that sound right? Yeah, it was about then. Our kids were, what, 14, 15 when Something they were, when like they were that. dating? So yeah. seven, eight years ago. And you were already well-established in your career, already busy being crazy, throwing yourself out of airplanes. But early on, early on, when you went to grade school here, 
you were best buds with a guy that would go on to be my boss, to be a, frankly, a, a Minnesota radio icon, Johnny the Rock Lasmani, Johnny the <laughs> Rock Lobster, John Lastman, who was recently a guest right here in this podcast. Where did you guys meet? Absolutely. Well, we went to school together. We went to Marcy Open School. Uh, Which, by the way, Marcy Playground, that band actually named themselves after Marcy Open yes, School, right? Yes, yes, that's true. Weird. Um, but yeah, so we, we just were schoolmates, and we were best friends. We hung out. We had sleepovers. We would stay up late and eat crappy food, and we'd watch the Midnight Special. I remember watching Midnight Special <laughs> and seeing Bo Diddley on there and you know, whatever else. and Starland Vocal Band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, we also made these, like, Super 8 movies that are up on YouTube now that you can see. We parodied Jaws and uh, Earthquake and a- Alien movies. We made these movies together when we were, like, 13 years old. So a couple of creative types, and yeah. you're doing this. Now, you both end up going into radio. At one point, though, you decide radio's as fun as it is, as interesting and sort of non-traditional as a path as it might be you decide it's not for you of course our mutual friend john lastman would go on to make quite a name for himself and rise up through the ranks of management i worked for him for a long time for better or ill he's a he's an unusual duck (laughs) to say the very least and i'm sure he was an unusual duck back then so you do some time in minnesota radio how does that work you doing intern stuff are you on the air what are you doing well, when I first started, I lived like really close to KSTP on University Avenue. It was a top 40 station. Yep. Uh, I lived in Prospect Park. And so I knew some of the DJs who had used to be on a really cool station called U100 back in the 70s. Hmm. And yeah, I don't so, even remember that. I, I grew up listening to KQ in the 70s. I don't even know U100. So I was like 13 years old, and I called up this guy named Rob Sherwood, who was program director, and I, oh, yeah. knew, and I knew him. And, and, uh, you know, I bugged him and I said, I'm 13 years old, but I, I can I just come and like do stuff for free just to learn, you know, what's going on and stuff. And at first he didn't go for it, but eventually I bugged him enough that he said, okay, you can come in and do some like, you know, phone surveys, call people and ask what radio stations they listen to, right? stuff like that. And so I did that for free. They gave me t-shirts, concert tickets, promo albums, you know, that was pretty sweet. Um, and, and when you're a teenager, that's better than getting paid. I mean, it's... Everyone I know who's ever made it in the radio industry, especially starting back in those days, that's what you do. You intern. You give it up for free for a long time. And if you're good and if you're kind and if you know what the hell you're doing, you get a shot. Yeah, and it was super cool. And then when I got old enough, whatever the legal thing is, uh, they said, okay, we'll start paying you minimum wage. So my first paycheck ever came from that. It was like two dollars and thirty five cents an hour. <laughs> nice. It's like nineteen seventy eight or yeah. something. Oh, you could. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. you could do that thing where you're like making it rain for about a second and a half, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then the rain stops. Yeah. So that was so that was super cool. And then we, then I went from there, and some other DJs and stuff um, said, you know, it's it's cooler out at you know KDWB in Woodbury. And, Stereo 101 FM, KDWB AM. And they were more of a rock station back then, right? Yeah. So I went out there and worked for a while. And I think I think Glassman worked there for a while. It gets all jumbled in my mind. But, well, so, and, but all those people, yeah. too, that have been around and doing radio for 40 years, they've all worked at all the places. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. But somewhere along there, and I, you know, I got to learn how to run the boards. Like at KSDP, I got to punch up commercials and run the boards for like North Star hockey games. And then I got to do some production work in the studios, so I kind of learned my way around. But I, yeah, I turned into a punk rocker and I, all this kind of stuff. And 
So that's the you can't just gloss over. I turned into a punk rocker because we're going to get into what you do with the Hennepin County Library System. We're going to talk about that. But one of the first things you did, being sort of involved in their music direction and being in charge of it, you did a whole feature on Husker Du's and Arcade. I mean, you, you there was a whole thing. That record literally changed the direction of my life more than any other record. So I'm a few years behind. The, the the actual punk rock scene. But when I heard Zen Arcade, it literally changed everything I thought I knew about music and my life was never going to be the same. So you can't just gloss over, yeah, then I became a punk rocker. <laughs> How did you become a punk rocker, man? I don't know. I had all these different influences. I, you know, I, I mean, like, where did you, but, but like, it wasn't on the radio. So like, where did you hear the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and the many other varied bands there? I mean, were you going to record stores? Were you going to clubs? How did you find out about punk rock? Because it's insidious. It's, it's, it's this glorious, wonderful, contagious musical disease, but everybody has a different path to it. There, there's a lot of different ways. Like, I, you know, I'm kind of like you. Like, I can't play music, but I tried a few times. And mm. I took drum lessons for a while from a guy named Milo Fine, who's a free jazz guy in town. But he turned me on to, like, Captain Beefheart, and he was into XTC drums and wires. He turned me on to the early public image limited stuff. Right. And I started, you know, slowly. That was one influence. And other other places, you know, when I worked for KSDP, they gave me tickets to go see Foreigner. And I showed up at at, at Foreigner. And where was, was that show at? The, Ramo- the Ramones opened for them. I'm sorry. At the St. Paul Civic Center. Hang on, hang on. Okay. So that was the hang first on. time I saw the Ramones. The Ramones were on tour with Foreigner? They weren't on tour with them. They played like one. What? I don't That's know how crazy. that happened, but it was at the St. Paul Civic Center. And, you know, I thought, these guys are pretty cool. You know, <laughs> you know, somehow, like, I just started getting into it. So, yeah, so then I was like, oh, you know, I kind of was getting disillusioned with how commercial radio worked. But then I heard, like... um, I started tuning into KFAI. I sometimes stumbled on that, right. and they were playing all the cool stuff on the radio. Yep. And the one time the DJ said, "Well, I'm not going to be here anymore. This is my last week. Uh, when I don't know what's coming up next." So I called the station and I said, "You know, I would love to do that. I know how to run a radio board. This is my kind of music. Blah blah blah." Right. And I ended up for over a decade doing doing KFAI radio and interviewing cool bands and. Had Husker do on three times before before Zen Arcade came out. Had Loud Fast Rules on before they ever thought that anybody would want to make a record with them, before they changed to Soul Asylum, Uh you know, and stuff like that. Interviewed the Dead Kennedys and the Butthole Surfers and... All these kind of bands when they came through town. Holy crap, really? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I know that you like were involved in all that, but I mean, we're talking about the, the Glitterati, uh, <laughs> whatever the punk rock version of Glitterati is. I mean, you know, I'm, Jello Biafra is the first person. So I talk about Husker Du changing my life in terms of the musicality of it. I wasn't prepared to hear Zen Arcade. It, it, you know, to, to walk into a hardcore post-punk pre-emo, literal masterpiece, like to walk into that Crystal Palace, I wasn't ready for it, and it changed everything I knew. But Dead Kennedys, specifically plastic surgery disasters and fresh fruit for rotting vegetables, it was the first time in my young suburban Coon Rapids life that I was scared. Mm -hmm. I was like, 
shit, maybe not everyone's <laughs> on my side. Like, I mean, so Jello Biafra is one of my freaking heroes. I paid way too much money a few years back for a couple of Daniel Corrigan photos of Jello Biafra. The only time I saw Dead Kennedys live was at the Old Armory before they re-outfitted it for a concert venue. Right, yeah, I was at that show. Otto's Chemical Lounge, yeah. Husker yep. Du, and Dead Kennedys. And only time I ever saw Husker Du or Dead Kennedys, but I was... a. It's in my top three shows of all time because it, it, I was so afraid by the message that Jello Biafra bought, brought. You interviewed Jello Biafra? Yeah. After that Armory show, um, I interviewed just uh, East Bay Ray and Klaus Fluoride. But the time before they came uh, and played at the Great Hall at Kaufman Union, and I went back to like all, Husker Du like, had this church that they kind of practiced in and stuff. And we went back there after the show, and, and Jello was like, right up front in the interview, and he was fascinating. Wow. What, you, what was the year? Give us a year. Do you remember? Oh, my God. It's got to be 82, 83. Uh, that's about what I was That's what say. I was thinking. Yeah, 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 about 82 or something. So, uh, yeah, we just sat there for, uh, like, a long time wow. you know, chatting, and, and all the dead Kennedys were there, but that interview was, was mostly Jell-O because – he likes to talk, and he's a fascinating guy. <laughs> he does like to talk. Yeah. He's, he's never at a shortage for words. I don't know what that's like. Hey, we've gone long enough speaking of talking without hearing a song. We're going to hear a song, and then we're going to come back. You and I share a lot of similar aesthetics. Um, whenever I post something about K-pop on social media, you're one of the first people in there to talk about how you understand what that's all about. Also, this band right here, my daughter and I share an almost unhealthy fascination with Japanese culture in almost every regard, especially pop culture. You know, anime and and manga are our two main things, but we love the video games and we love a bunch of the music. And you chose a band that I think to many Western audiences, many Western ears, eyes, and mindsets is a little confusing because it marries the ultra cute kawaii vibe with the deep hard metal vibe there's not really another band like baby metal exactly and that's why i chose it i thought well first of all maybe a lot of listeners might have not been familiar and it's cool to turn people on to new stuff but um this is a band the one band that my daughter and i literally discovered together because she is totally into k-pop and i heard you playing k-pop and you know you talked about the dance videos and all the different stuff she's just like that she knows Every dance move to every song. She right. knows every every member of every band, even if there's 16 members. Which is no small feat, by the know. way, because many of the bands have 16 members. It's crazy. Yeah, and she collects the albums or actually CDs with the picture cards and posters and stuff. But so we were on YouTube one day and we were, um, you know, showing each other videos. And somehow, and I'm sure she was showing me some K-pop video or something. And then like in the sidebar we saw Baby Metal come up, and we were like, oh, what's this? Let's check it out. And we played it, and it was different, and we're kind of like, oh, that's interesting. You know, let's let's watch another one. We watched, like, two or three videos, and then we went on to something else, and I kind of thought that, yeah, that was fun, but, you know, it's a little too heavy for her. She's not going to be into it or whatever. Right. No, she went and she researched the entire band. She learned about them. She listened to all their music, and one time she said, Dad, if they ever come and play live, we have to go. Did you go when they came? So we went. It was 2019. They played at Myth uh-huh. Nightclub out in Maple Grove or I'm whatever I'm still it kicking is. myself for not going. Was it any good? 
Yeah, it's like to this day, it's her absolute favorite concert that we've ever seen. And I've taken to her a lot of stuff. I've taken her to see Kiss, and the first one she begged to go to was Imagine Dragons. And um, but you know, I took her to see Kiss. We saw Billie Eilish at the Armory. We, we've seen lots of shows, but this one, she still talks about it and says everything about the night was perfect. We we stood in line before they opened the doors, and the people that we chatted with were so nice and that was so fun and then we got in and we got the perfect spot there's like a side rail at the at the myth and um so you can like we could be right up against the rail mm-hmm. perfect view of the stage but not get jostled around right and look down at the mosh pit uh-huh and there was a serious mosh pit for this show oh this this band yeah. is all about the circle pit this band like if it was just the band without the three young girls young women uh, that are at the center of baby metal if it was just the backing band which is sort of the musical heart of this band they could play at warp tour and there would be a giant circle pit but baby metal takes it to an entirely different level uh the first time i ever heard them was a song called gimme chocolate which is fantastic Yeah, i think that's one of the first ones we listened to but this is also a spectacular song no one in 125 episodes has ever picked baby metal when they've come on the show so john copeland i thank you let's hear a little baby metal here on the brian oak show
I've never once shied away from being a fan of a perfect pop song, but then you go ahead and bring in the double kick drum and the hard rock and the shredding solos and put them together perfectly with that Japanese sheen on it. Absolutely love baby metal. Excellent pick, Mr. Copeland. Well done. Yeah, thank you. And they were fantastic live. They, they, you know, they had dance moves and choreography and they were energetic and happy and friendly. It's great, great band. I love them. Did you go to the Buffalo Wild Wings across the parking lot before the show? <laughs> no, I can say we did not do that. That's my only thing I don't like about the myth is its location in the heart of shopping mall land in Maplewood. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, now I have to drive 45 minutes to get home from Maplewood. But still, it's the right size place. I did see Kraftwerk there one time. The I, only yeah, time I was there. Yeah. I ever saw Kraftwerk, and it was uh, that was absolutely worth the journey right there. John Copeland's our guest. So, John, in addition to your musical experience, your radio experience, at some point, you decide, I'm going to work at a library, and then I'm going to take it seriously, and you go get your master's degree in, is it technically called the Library Arts Sciences? It's, it's Master's of Library Science, MLS. Okay, Master's of Library Science. So, getting, you know, a, a basic degree, so to become a master, because this part is interesting to me, I actually am fascinated by this aspect of your life and your career. When you become a master of library sciences, so there's the Dewey Decimal System, there's alphabetizing. What sort of things do you have to really genuinely master to get a master's in library sciences? Well, yeah, I mean, in the so I got my degree in, well, I went to school in Syracuse University in upstate New York mm-hmm. in 92 and 93 was when I was there. And, you know, it was it was like one of the first things in one of the library school classes is they said, you have to get an email account and learn how to use it. Ooh. And I had never done that before because <laughs> right. this stuff was new. Uh, brand well, new, by the way. You know, there was no worldwide web. I mean, I guess there was a worldwide web, but, it, you know, people talked about gopher file no. transfer system. And yeah, I didn't see this- a picture of a naked lady on the Internet till like, 95, okay? So, I mean, you're talking yeah. early stuff. So, I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, we, we was learning about this new technology as it came along and learning how to do this kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I had to take a cataloging class and I had to take reference class and database management. And, you know, there was just. When this stuff a is in its nascency, because, I mean, there's already personal computers, but it's not like the laptop that's sitting in front of me right now. I mean, no. this is a. You know, today's young people, as we like to say, would look at it and it would look it would look like you were working with an abacus. It looks like Sanskrit. It looks like the olden times. Yeah. So all that stuff was just so new and it's just like crazy for me to think back of you know what i was learning about then is like now it's just like everywhere but you know um, when it comes to libraries given the fact that you know obviously not all of it can be trusted but the, the internet is essentially become the repository for all of the collected knowledge influence thoughts and possibilities of human experience are people still going to libraries oh yeah because i mean there's you know I mean, you can't just Google everything. There, right. There's, you know, and uh, I mean, people, of course, they want to get books to read and, you know, stuff like that. And a lot of people don't have their own computers. They use the computers there. But, yeah, they do, like, use the staff as, uh, you know, the reference librarians for our knowledge, I guess, or, you know, whatever. Well, and they use different stuff. So that's why I, I, I used the analogy earlier in the show. 
with working at the record store, right? I mean, like you can go on Spotify and just kind of pick things out, but it doesn't, it's not the same thing as going and flipping through the stacks, right? It's not the same thing as going and picking the brains of the people who work at the record store, provided they're not those know-it-all pricks that sometimes (laughs) populate record stores. Um, But, you know, I mean, so there are those people who, like for me, the only two things I collect are pulp sci-fi paperback books and vinyl records. And so I go to bookstores constantly and I still do go to libraries, but not as often as I used to, but there will always be people who will want to go to the vinyl record store. There will always be people who want to go to the library because that experience matters. The smell of books matters. The tactile experience, that ritual of getting a book and bringing that book home and bringing it back usually many weeks too late and with a fine associated with it. But, um, I mean, people still check out books. People still utilize libraries as an important cultural resource, yes? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, there's also e-books and audio books that people can do, um, and that's a big thing, and I've had to learn how to, you know, help people with that. Personally, I don't like it much. I have, like, the app on my phone that mm-hmm. I can do that stuff. But I, I like the actual books, and I collect books, um, I collect a lot of music books personally, but other things too. And I collect autographed books and, you know, so that's one thing. And yeah, people do love to have the actual physical book. The the relic, the artifact. I mean, to me, that's been important. That's why, like, I mean, it's stupid. I have so many CDs and so many pieces of vinyl. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I could condense all of it into a digital file that would fit on something smaller than my thumb. Why own all these things? To me, it is the ritual. To me, it is the experience. Now, is that strictly nostalgia? I don't really care what you want to call it. I enjoy the process. And sitting down with a book and flipping the pages, the smell of the book, the tactile sensation, it's as much of the experience to me as the the mental thing. Are you a book reader, Sean? Um, not really. I mean, it, what's More funny- into like pamphlets? Yeah, a lot of pamphlets. My wife is an avid reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the challenge was I read the wrong books when I was growing up. I tried to read what my older brother was reading, and he was into penthouse. He, no, yes, <laughs> and no, but he was really big into the stuff that you might like. The, okay, were you into Lord of the Rings and all that stuff? J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, I one of the greatest birthday gifts I ever got in my entire life is this gorgeous British edition where in the front of it are these gorgeous detailed maps that fold out almost to the size of this table but then fold back up in the beginning so was i into lord of the rings i'm going to give you the short answer yes very much See, and i love nonfiction. so for me a, a great story about somebody's life and overcoming some great challenge that's why i just already ordered uh courtney yasmine's uh book right I and saw it that. arrived today so i actually got that today and i will i will read that uh and it's you know, that's the kind of bike book I like. So well, I don't it, read all the time, but it, yeah. No, and I'm the same way. And frankly, by the time I, you know, usually the only time I ever really devote to setting aside reading is, okay, bedtime. I'm going to go to bed a half hour early and I'm going to read. <sighs> yeah, it's a little, just, just past that. Just, <laughs> just past that. So, I mean, I'm... Dear, no. dear Penthouse Forum, <laughs> I never thought this could happen to me. Um, no, but then, you know, you're tired, it's the end of the day, and I don't feel like I'm putting in quality time, so I always want to prioritize reading more, but things are busy and things are hectic, but there are still a ton of people out there who read, and I guess I'm not against 
things like Kindle and online stuff because at least people are still reading. Mm-hmm. They're still taking in the word. I think there's a different process involved in the brain when you read information as opposed to when you just watch something on television. But there is something special about the process of going to a library. So in the modern era of COVID, are people still coming? So you work at the library downtown, correct? Yes. Downtown Minneapolis. So are people still allowed to come in and get their covid fingers all over the books? Yeah, well, now it's it's limited uh, services. They call it grab-and-go services. Uh, so you can go in the library. You can pick up holds if you have holds ready to pick up. And you can browse. But, um, like, the downtown library is four floors. You can only browse the first floor Okay. Um, right now. But you can page books from the other floors. Um, so if you need a book, you can, you know, we'll have someone go get it for you. Um, but it, you know, it, it's uh, encouraged just quick um, visits. They've, they've taken out most of the chairs and things away from the tables. You can't hang out in the comfy chairs. Right. You can't go in the meeting rooms or anything like that. You can use a computer for uh, for an hour for people who need to use a computer. But yeah, you got to wear a mask and, you know, and we've got uh, masks on and face shields and there's you know, plastic in front of the desks and everything else. So I love the reason I find what you do fascinating is not only do I think the art of it is fascinating and the structure of it and the organization of it, but I think from a cultural perspective, if we pull back a little bit and took a wider angle view of what a library means to a community, you know, I've got the small Nokomis library in my neck of the woods, right by my home. And I remember when funding wasn't there and suddenly they were I used to take my daughter there every day not every day but a lot and all of a sudden they were only open three days a week and you know and so I also remember that when this beautiful gorgeous new library that you work at downtown Minneapolis was proposed there was more than a little pushback there was a lot of people who were like the fuck do we need a major giant expensive library right in the middle of downtown for and i'm glad that it went through i'm glad that it's it's fantastic i mean Mm, you you, knowledge is important and the ability for people to you know despite all the distractions of the modern age for people to be able to get together and be like i'd like to know more about this maybe this is interesting or you know i I hate to keep going back to the analogy because they're not they're not you know, apples to apples, but it's close. Maybe I'll just go in and see what I find one day. I was lucky enough as a kid when I, uh, in Coon Rapids, I was lucky enough to live in two different places in Coon Rapids, by the way. But the first place we lived was on Idlewise, and literally across the street was a library. And so every summer, I would go and be part of the, they had this huge tack board up where, you know, for every book you read, you moved your thing a little further along, and so I'd read 40 books a summer, and I would just sometimes go in there and wander around. It wasn't a terribly huge library, but it was fascinating to wander through racks and racks of books and pull them down. And I fell in love with books for the rest of my life, and I'm, I'm I'm glad that still happens. Are there are there active programs to cultivate, as we say in radio, and we said for many years, to cultivate the younger end of the demo for people who maybe haven't grown up with as many books? I mean, is there are there are there active programs and and ways of getting younger people involved in reading? Oh yeah, and I mean it's harder now with COVID, of course, this last year. Right. But um, you know they're always having programs for young people and different book clubs, and you know, and you know they've got like you know anime clubs and things that will attract the people. Whoa, whoa, and they whoa. even and of course it's closed right now because of COVID. But the, the, there's a Teen Central section of the downtown library, and there's also a like um, Teen Tech Center. 
and that has an actual recording studio in it. Wow. And it's got like some computers that are like higher quality than the, you know, the normal ones that we have for people to use, you know, that have like all the you know, Photoshop and all the programs on it. And teens can sign up and become a member. They can use the recording studio. My son did that a little, you know, a little bit years ago. Um, and just learn all these skills and stuff. So there's there's cool stuff going on. I know a lot of your time at the library has been spent in the art and music sections, and there's some very specific things we want to talk about before we wrap up this podcast. So we're going to come back and talk more about that with John Copeland. But first, I want to hear this song. So going back to when we talked earlier, uh, you know, there are certain records that will always stay with me. Part of it nostalgia, part of it because they are absolute landmarks. And even though it came out in 1983, Prince's 1999 is my favorite Prince album from his catalog. Part of it nostalgia, but part of it in going back and listening to all of his catalog many times, it remains my single favorite record. However, I never got the deluxe edition, so I've never heard this particular song. Tell me about this song. All right, well, I picked this song um, for a number of reasons. Uh, So this is an outtake, of course, from 1999, uh, recorded in 1981, it was uh, sitting in, sat in the vault for almost forty years or whatever till they uh, did this, and only Prince would name a song "Vagina," and <laughs> so you know, it, it, yeah, and so um, you know, some some of the you know, it's kind of a it doesn't sound anything like most of nineteen ninety nine. There's no synthesizers; um, it's just guitar and bass. And any of the percussion is like his, like vocal. Really, no Lynn drum clap. machine or anything. And you know, so it's all—it's almost. I mean, maybe it's like not even completely finished. But you know, the lyrics are interesting because um, because vagina. Well, they touch on different things. So, so the character in the song is named Vagina, <laughs> and <laughs> you know, and he refers to them as you know in feminine pronouns. But it kind of goes vagina. Um, was half boy, half girl. Uh, her hair was shorter than mine. I met her in a gay bar. Ki- or, or, no, see, I first saw her in a gay bar kissing another girl. I said, baby, I'm looking for a turn on. She said, welcome to my world. And then half boy, half girl, best of both worlds. And so I don't really know for sure like how advanced Prince's thinking was in 1981 on issues like bisexuality, oh or gender fluidity and that kind of thing. Um, you know, because in 81, you didn't hear about that stuff. Mm, right, there. at like, all. These days, there's people very close to me who, like, identify in those ways yep, and same. stuff. And um, So, like, Prince, uh, you know, maybe he was just trying to be shocking. But at the same time, you know, he built a band, The Revolution, that was black and white, male and female, straight and gay, and I think in the 80s, he was just like, you know, anything goes. Let's let our freak flag fly. Let's be free. Let's make music. Let's make love. Let's, you know. And but let's so, be open to every possibility because it's yeah. okay. You can be whoever you want. Exactly. In, in the same regard as Bowie, he gave anybody who felt like a fringer or an outsider a safe haven to exist. Yeah. And then the other thing, uh, you know, that's an interesting story is, um, so Prince met a woman named Denise Matthews. And he wanted to put her in a band, and he originally wanted to call her Vagina. 
And she was having none of that. She was like, no way. That is that is not going to be my name. Right. And so he ended up uh, changing it to Vanity, and the band was Vanity Six. But, you know, I mean, if it was, if it was you know, Prince's Call, you know, there might have been a band called Vagina Six. I don't know. So I always I, felt bad for the actor and Jake and the fat man just getting the call and finding out that he was actually going to be cast as the fat man. So am I Jake? Uh, yeah, about that. Uh, no. You're not Jake. Your name is Vagina. <laughs> I was thinking we'd call you uh, Vagina. <laughs> nope. So only Prince would, you know, be like that and be able to get away with it. Hey, precisely. Here's Prince, Vagina, on the Brian Oak Show.
There is a great song on the Vanity Six album called If a Girl Answers, Don't Hang Up, where it's sort of a skit and uh, Vanity is calling a guy named Jimmy and um, a woman answers and the woman is played by Prince and it's it's worth that song alone to get yourself a copy of that record. It is the Brian Oak Show, and Sean, I would like to hear about your realty situation. How much time do you have? Indefinite? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, uh, actually, no, I, I lied. 55 seconds. Sounds good. Um, it's that time of the year to kind of plan out your year and, and decide what you're going to do. There's people that are thinking about moving, like, should we move? Should we not move? Should we fix up the house? Should we not fix up the house? What should we do? Well, it's a great time to call me and talk to me about that. I can come into your place with the mask on, with gloves on, with a party hat, whatever you like, whatever you're into. Hazmat uh, suit? Yeah, I can do a hazmat. Absolutely. I've got a couple of them in different colors. Um, but I will stop into your place and take a look at it, check it out, and we can decide together uh, what might need to be done to get your house ready for sale. Uh, so give me a call, 612-859-2594. If you or anyone you know is in the market, to buy or sell this year. 612-859-2594. That number is also text-worthy. Text-worthy? Like sponge-worthy? It is. Sponge-worthy. Super creepy. Fun Seinfeld reference, though. John Copeland's our guest. And John, I want to share with you, before we dive into specifically what you do at the library and the event you have coming up here in just a couple of days, So growing up, I went to the library a lot. It was an important destination pre-internet. So this was where you got new media. And I just, I sort of liked the vibe, you know, it was quiet. It was chill. There was so much stuff to check out. I was a total sci-fi nerd, spent a lot of time doing that. But when we moved to the second spot in Coon Rapids, so the first one had a very small listening area, two crappy old school turntables and a handful of records. When we moved over to the other part of Coon Rapids, closer to Blaine, There was a great Anoka Hennepin County library that had a massive record selection. And I would go through and dig and, you know, people didn't always treat records so well back then. So some of them were in ill states of repair. You had those bad light blue and white headphones that went along with all of them. But it would be fun to go and listen to music or comedy records or things like that. But I will never, ever, ever forget. The day my dad came home from the library, my dad was a huge music head, and he'd come home with an armful of records from the library that he checked out. And one day he brought me home a copy of Under the Big Black Sun by the band X and said, hey, this looks like one of those bands you've been getting into lately. And I'd never heard of X. And I was in the nascency, the very beginning of my love of alternative music, and it blew my freaking mind, so much so that one day I skipped swim practice oh, to go down to an all-age show, my very first show ever in the First Avenue main room, X, 1985, and it, it, it again, another one of those like moments that changed the actual trajectory of my entire life, and we got that at the public library, and so that, you know, with, with vinyl's resurgence, vinyl is available at the downtown library, right? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it's, um... You can't check it out now, but so what the deal was is like we used to have and still have a huge vinyl collection, mm-hmm. and, you know. I mean, but we used to actively collect it um, through you know from wherever way back. So we got some old seventy eights and all kinds of things, right? Uh, but up through you know sometime in the nineties, like probably CDs came in, and they're like, oh, nobody. 
collection, you know, they stopped buying vinyl or whatever. But then in 2002, we moved out of the uh, downtown library building so that it could be demolished and right. build a new one. And we were in a temporary space for three and a half, four years. So the vinyl collection got, you know, stored and they were, they said, you know, they're going to bring it back once a new building came, came up. But then it didn't really happen that way. It sat in storage, sat in storage. Um, there were times when they were going to get rid of it and they were going to like mm. donate it or sell it or whatever, like to, to the university or somewhere. But yeah, so like a few years ago, um, a bunch of us got together who wanted to figure out something to do with the vinyl collection and bring it back. And we brainstormed ideas on, on how we could do this. Um, we decided we'd call our program Vinyl Revival. Um, and we got some grants. We got grant money and ended up uh, getting a bunch of equipment, turntables, mixers, speakers, uh, high-quality cleaning machine, a bunch of other stuff. And we got that. And then we got another grant for programming so that we could pay guests to come in and do programming and all this stuff. So uh, January 2019, we opened a vinyl listening room. And we had guest uh, curators come in and go through all the vinyl in the stacks and pick out like 25 albums that they thought would be cool to have. Right. And then uh, for a while, they were also getting a budget um, to buy new stuff for the library. So, for instance, I had Lori Barbero uh, as one of the uh, curators that I arranged and I got to go with her to Electric Fetus, and she had 500 bucks. She could buy anything oh. at Electric Fetus wow. that she wanted, you know, and it would go in the library collection. And then each of the guest uh, people would do some sort of a program at the library. Sometimes it was DJ workshops. With Lori, she just kind of talked about her life in rock and roll and spun some records and different things. And so, you know, that so people could go and listen to the, to the vinyl in that, in that room. Someday we may make it circulating again, but at least we're trying to make it available. Of course, that all kind of crashed. Um, you know, we can't have people in there listening to it now. Everything's different now. Uh, no, know. I totally understand. Um, by the way, uh, just as a quick side note, should you ever need someone else to come along and do some record shopping with you, hmm. I'm putting my hand in the air right now. <laughs> all right. Now, you also do something uh, called the Album Encounter, and ones that you've picked, Husker Du's and Arcade, which we've talked about, which I could wax poetically about that record for many 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 hours and you've also done sign of the times by prince which has also been offered i did buy the deluxe reissue of that particular record mm. and well one of the deluxe reissues because there was like a seven album version for two hundred dollars i didn't go quite that deep on it but um you've got another uh uh album encounter coming up this thursday so two days from today we're recording this on tuesday the 19th you've got one coming up in just a couple of days regarding elvis the from memphis or what rather from Memphis with Elvis record that you're going to be featuring on Thursday. So for people who want to participate and enjoy it, how does that work? So you sign up through the library's website. And so it's www.hclib.org. And on the page, there's uh, some drop-down menus. And one of them is something like programs and programs and events or something like that. You click on it and the top thing is events. And you just go down to, it's January 21st, uh, 7 p.m., and you see Vinyl Revival Album Encounters, and you sign up. 
And so, you know, there's like a, you know, we make a hundred spots available, I think 40 or, or 40 or 45 are taken, but there's plenty, you know, that you can still get in on it. And this is strictly virtual, right? You're not coming down to the library. Yeah, this is virtual. Then you're sent a link to the event Mm -hmm. and it's on, it's kind of like Zoom, but it's not, it's called like Microsoft Teams or something like that. Yeah. Right. But it's similar. And, you know, and so, yeah, every time we we discuss a, a different album, you know, like you said, we did Husker Du, we did Prince. I had Matt, Dr. Fink as a guest on that one. That nice. Was, that was great. We, we've done all kinds of different things. We had a, a special classical edition with a guy named Garrett McQueen. And, um, you know, he had, uh, the, he had the unfortunate uh, event that he was fired from Minnesota Public Radio. So wait a minute. You know, People like, get fired from Minnesota Public Radio? I guess, you know, but he was like a classical, he, he's like a classical expert, African-American classical expert. And Garrett he, was always there on the overnights when I would do the mornings over on The Current, and so I got to know Garrett pretty well over yeah. the years I worked there. So we had him as a guest, and he came and did a classical edition. That's amazing. But yeah, so we're doing an Elvis thing, uh, you know, uh, in two days. and Fabulous. And so why, I mean, obviously... Elvis's legacy cannot be questioned. His impact on American music cannot be questioned. But why why Elvis this time and why this particular record? All right. So what happened was, um, I mean, back in the days when we can all like operate normally, uh, I would always do displays uh, for the for the floor I'm on. And, you know, we had tons of books on Elvis and just there's so many and, and Elvis albums and everything. So often in January, I do an Elvis display mm-hmm. or, or, you know, some Januarys I do that. Um, but there's more history to this. Um, we had this mythical thing at the Minneapolis Public Library called the Elvis Shrine. And it was uh, in the old building. There were three complete floors that were non-public that, it you know, the. Library is the entire block. So we had three entire blocks on these different floors that were books, magazines, government documents, and stuff like that, and they had to be paged. So you'd send down, like, these pneumatic tubes, and the pages would get the slips and go take get the materials. So back when I was still a library page, uh, there was another library page named Bill and a librarian named Kathy Camper, who's going to be joining us on the show. And somehow, we don't remember exactly how we started it, but we were crazy, wacky people and friends, and we'd <laughs> hang out together. And somehow we found some Elvis stuff, like some postcards and some things, and there were a couple empty shelves in the middle of all these books, and we, we started putting this Elvis stuff there. And then we put other like odd things like these little <laughs> ceramic nuns playing saxophones. And you know, and it was just started as a lark, but we, we kept adding to it and then other people would discover it and they would bring things. And, you know, and like I said, you know, this isn't public, this is like library employees, but then library board members started getting into it and they would donate things. And the library director found out about it and she donated stuff and then people would you know, visiting guests, they'd bring them down to see the Elvis shrine. And it was this big thing. And the city pages even wrote it up in 1992. They were doing a thing on shrines in the twin cities and they, they did a whole section on the Elvis shrine. So anyway, as with the vinyl, uh, in 2002, when we moved out of that building, we had to take down the shrine. Of course, I put it in cardboard boxes and it sat in my basement. I found it a few months ago. 
And I proposed doing a display in the atrium of the library when you walk in with material from the Elvis, the old Elvis shrine, the first time, you know, that stuff, the public could see it, um, as well as Elvis books and albums and stuff like that. So then when we were kicking around ideas for what album to do, you know, I said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this Elvis display and stuff. Let's do something on Elvis. We got a bunch of Elvis albums. And we looked, we had about 10 albums in the collection. Um, there was a few soundtrack albums, a few greatest hits albums, a live album. But then we saw this one from uh, Memphis with Elvis. And did a little research and uh, realized that this was, uh, you know, a really cool, highly regarded album. It was his return to doing non-soundtrack. He had done soundtrack albums for a long time. He had this film contract and everything. And it was his first, uh, you know, doing just a regular album for a while. And uh, put on my glasses so I can so I can remember my notes. But so it was recorded at American Sound Studios. He had recorded almost everything at RCA Studios, except for the early stuff at Sun. Mm-hmm. And uh, they convinced him to go to a different studio. Um, and one of the big reasons was there's this group called the Memphis Boys that was the house band. And they, you know, they played with a lot of cool people. And they have like a southern soul sound. And But a lot of the songs on this album were kind of country, so it was kind of like country soul. And um, yeah, it's just a really cool album. And I... It, it, Back in 2002, I know Rolling Stone magazine, uh, they first came out with their first top 500 albums of all time, and it was 190. And they keep revising it this last year. They revised it in 2020, and uh, it dropped down to 322, but it's still on their list of the top 500 albums of all time. Wow. And so it's a cool album. So um, I'm going to do most of the fun crazy wacky <laughs> part of the conversation which will maybe come in the second half of the show mm-hmm. um so i'm going to talk about elvis impersonators i've got an elvis impersonator who's going to join us i've really? seen him right at the parkway yeah a guy anthony shore anthony shore yep. like somebody hooked me up with him and he said he'd love to come on and talk about that and he's british right yes he's british which is hilarious that you've got this guy who's an elvis impersonator of course who lives here but he's British. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So he's coming on. Um, like I said, the uh, librarian, Kathy, is going to come on uh, and talk about the shrine with me. going to talk about, you know, we're going to play some punk rock uh, Elvis covers and different fun things. <clears throat> but then we're also going to do um, a big uh, section on this album from Elvis with, uh, from Memphis with Elvis and you know, play some tracks from that and talk about that album and so you know it's gonna be like a bunch of stuff it'll probably be like you know we always schedule these things for an hour and kind of like your show i know you try to keep it an hour but it often often goes over yeah i I got a feeling i got a feeling this show is going to go an hour and a half you know because we just got so much that we're gonna we want to talk about and and interesting guests like anthony and whatever so well, but that's the nice thing is, you know, it's a little more free form. You've got the time to do it if you want to. And if people, if, if they can, if they can bear it, it's all about what the audience will tolerate. So before we cut you, cut you loose and hear the song by Elvis from that record, what, where do people go again to track it down this Thursday at seven o'clock? Yeah. Thursday, seven o'clock, go to HCLIB.org. HCLIB? Yeah. HC for Hennepin County, LIB for library. HC. Got it. LIB.org, and then just go to the, like, programs and events and, you know, 
find that program and, and sign up for we'll it. We'll link to it as well. Fabulous. All right. Well, John, we do have to cut it short because we are already well over an hour. But um, <laughs> thank you and good luck with everything. And it'll be fun to come down and take part in these events live again once the world allows us to do just that. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, same. Um, Sean, anything else before we go? That's all I got. Okay. Well, thanks to the good people at AudioQuip. Thanks to everybody. Uh, good luck to incoming President Joe Biden. The next time we talk, the next podcast we have, which will be coming up in just a couple of days, we'll have a new president officially pardon me pardon me hey, pardon me i see what you did right pardon there me. i see what you did we're gonna get out of here before it goes the wrong direction entirely we're gonna hear this song by elvis before we let you go though john why this song oh i just really like this song it's uh the first song on side one that opens the album and it's got like you know it's kind of funky i think uh you know when i was researching it like this song is the first time um once again, what do my my notes say? Features features an electric bass lead for the first time ever on an Elvis song. Yeah, I just it's a it's a cool song. And it's called Wearing That Loved On Look. Yep. I don't know if I've heard this before. Let's go ahead and all do it together as we wrap up episode one twenty five of the Brian Oak Show. Thanks, John. Some care.